So I have to confess, in watching and reading the news, uh, my heart gets, or my, my head, I guess, gets a little hardened towards everything that's going on. And, and there's so much difficult news to take in, and whether it has to do with Russia or Congress or people going in and killing others and just on and on and on. So this week, there was a bit of news that really struck me um, as different and interesting. Uh, there was an iceberg in Antarctica that broke off the ice sheet. You heard this story? All right. And it was, or is, 23,000 square miles big. It's bigger than the state of Delaware. That's a big iceberg, right? So I looked at the pictures. It was really fascinating to, to see all of this, and, and, and I, I imagine what the meeting was like before it decided to break away and how it tried to fix the relationship but decided, you know, I just can't be a part of this ice sheet anymore, so I'm breaking off and I'm going on my own, right? We're done. I'm no longer a part of this ice sheet. I've decided to take my own 23,000-square-mile journey. See ya. Okay? What a board meeting that would have been, right? But... I want us to see that in a spiritual reality. We've been talking about the qualities of a Christ follower and what we look like and what we should look like. And the, the, the truth is, is we have to understand that as followers of Jesus, we should be different than the rest of the world. We talked about in Romans 12, 1 and 2, we talked about how that is a reality and, uh, and how we are dependent on God to make that happen. Uh, and then last week, Jay talked about how the kingdom is the first priority that God has gifted us, and, and we are to be using those gifts for His honor and for His glory and for the kingdom's sake. And so today we're going to move into a different area that once we are filled with God, what do our lives look like? All right? What, what are we supposed to be like? Now, please hear me say this before we start. I am not in telling you how to fix your life. I'm not telling you things to stop doing. I'm not telling you things to start doing. What I am saying is, is when we look at our lives, do our lives match this picture? And if they don't, then there must be some disconnection with God, okay? So I want to make that clear up front. So we are in Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 9, and we're going to read verses 9 through 16, and it's on page 1137 if we're using the Pew Bible. Romans 12, 9 through 16. And here in Romans 12, Paul is, begins giving practical advice about following Jesus and what that looks like. And he starts with a general statement in verse 9 that says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. 
Okay, so let's go through this, and I think uh, we begin with verse, verse 9, love must be sincere. Now, the word for love in verse 9 is, is agape, and we've talked about the different kinds of love in Greek. Agape is a perfect love, a love that says, I love you unconditionally, I love you, period, no matter what happens, no matter what you do. And the truth is, is that love is a love that only God can have. And it's a love that we can't have unless he gives it to us. And so when Paul says, love, agape, must be sincere, what he's saying is, is you can't make this stuff up. You can't pretend to love people with a perfect love. You can't act like you love perfectly. It's only something that God can put inside of you. And so we try to love perfectly, but we can't unless God puts that love there. First John says, God is love. God is agape. All right? And so we go through this journey of following Jesus, and when the Holy Spirit infills us, agape, this perfect love, is something that only God can give us. And so what Paul says is, is when agape is sincere, when agape is real and it's not made up, this is what life looks like. All right? And so this section that follows, I think, is divided into two parts, though Paul did it in bullet points that were intertwined with each other. I think he talks about how agape love produces a relationship with God that is positive and a relationship with people that is positive. Okay? So we're going to look at those two things and look at some of the ways Paul describes those characteristics. And here's what he says. He begins with, hate what is evil, and this is our, our relationship with God, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. The word cling there is the same word Paul uses for a husband and wife in marriage, to be glued to or stuck to. And so what he says is turn your back on hate, on, on bad things, and cling to the good things. So I tried to think of a way to explain this, and I thought, okay, let's say you go to a movie. And you're sitting there watching the movie, and all of a sudden the movie takes a turn, and down deep in your spirit, because agape is real and sincere in your life, your spirit says, you shouldn't stay. you got to go. And so you get up and you walk out. See, that's what agape does. It, it shows us those situations and those realities that I, I need to distance myself from this. The problem is, is somehow in American Christianity, we've interpreted it that as we leave, we tell everybody else in the theater how horrible they are for staying. That's not what agape does. You see, read later on in chapter 12, we'll see next week, that we should, as much as it's up to us, we should be at peace with all people. This isn't about comparing ourselves to others. This is saying, God is telling me, and this is clear, I need to abandon this. I need not to participate in this. So like the iceberg decided not to stay a part of the sheet, we, though they remained ice and a part of Antarctica, they left. And though we don't participate in the things that the world accepts, we're still people. And we're still a part of this earth journey, right? And so when, when Paul says, when agape is flowing through us correctly, we're going to be driven away from that which is evil. It's just a natural result of that. And we're going to be driven toward that which is good. All right, so he goes on. Um, skip down to verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And so there is this reality that when agape is flowing through us, we're going to be excited about our king. We're going to be excited about hanging out with our king. We're going to be excited about honoring him and living lives that bring him glory. 
We're going to be excited about who he is and what he's done and what he's accomplishing. And we're going to be thrilled because our relationship with him is going to be of utmost priority. When agape is flowing through us, we can't help but be in love with King Jesus. We just can't help it. And so we're, we're drawn to him. We want to be with him. We want to hang out with the king because he's, our, he's the guy we want to be with. And so I think if we're all honest, we have to say there are times in our journey of faith when the fervor and drive towards our king dwindles. There are times that it's a struggle. Well, Paul says, you know, when, when agape is flowing through you freely, you can't help but be drawn to our king. There is a fervor and excitement about who he is that you can't, you can't uh, put out, a fire you can't put out. All right, in verse 12 then, he says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. These are all statements of trust, right? They are statements that we can be hopeful in what God holds for us in eternity. We can trust in that, right? We can trust that in affliction, that God has a, a bigger picture at stake and a bigger reality going on, and I can trust his direction in this. And I pray, and really that's what prayer is. Prayer is trusting God to be bigger than me and bigger than what I'm facing and bigger than this reality. And so Paul says, when, when agape is in you and is flowing through you, you can't help but trust God. It's just the natural result. And so when this agape is a part of us, our lives begin to look like lives that honor our king. When I was a teenager, um, I was forced against my will to work in a warehouse that was owned by my dad and his business partner. And that was every summer. And I hated it. And that was the purpose behind it. Uh, it was my dad's intention to use that to make me go to college someday. Uh, and, and I just despised it. But I have to confess, in this unair conditioned warehouse, which I can relate to once again, um, we had some fun that we weren't supposed to have, okay? And so uh, we had pallet jacks. Now, if you don't know what a pallet jack is, it's a, it's a tool that has two long arms that you put under a pallet and you raise it up by pumping the arm up and down and it lifts the pallet and you can move thousands of pounds very easily, okay? Now, when you're not lifting a pallet with a pallet jack, it can serve as a very good instrument to move around quickly, or as a chariot, if you will. And so, my dad's old now, so I can get away with telling this story, but so basically your feet would be like this, and you would use it as a scooter, and then you could use the front to steer. You kids don't try that at home, all right? And so, but what also, one of the things that my dad's company sold, um, they're called dry erase powder bags. And basically, they're things that architects use when they make a mistake. They put this powder on to help erase, right? Well, what's really cool about those is when you throw them at someone and hit them, it leaves a big white spot and it goes, <laughs> all right? So, there were times when things got a little slow, we would have pallet jack wars, all right? And so we would go around up and down the aisles of the warehouse and, pff, and then get away, and they would chase us down. And I mean, that was, that was it. I hate to confess, it was really fun. <laughs> so there was one day, though, that we were in a pallet jack war. We had gotten all the work done, I guess. And it, I came around the corner, and there was a guy named Tony, and he and I had this war all the time. And I just let one go, and he turned around and went, pff, 
It was a beautiful shot, and I was like, yes! And I was so excited, but what I didn't know is standing behind me was my dad. <laughs> and so I don't, Tony just bowed his head, and he, he went off real fast. I'm like, what is he doing? Why isn't he coming after me? And I turned and looked, and there was my dad with his hands on his hips. He said, son, put the pallet jack up and come, come talk to me. Oh, no. So I had a 10-minute lecture about how the company doesn't pay us so many for, much for an hour to have pallet jack wars and how much it was costing the company for us to waste time, blah, 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 blah. But then he said, but the truth is I'm really just disappointed in you. I said, you're my son. When you're out there, you have my last name. You represent me. You can do better than that. You're better than that. And you know, I, I think spiritually, God looks at us at sometimes and says, you know what, you're better than that. You're better than that. And no, you can't do it on your own. And, and no, I, I'm not saying that we need to fix our lives so God will love us. I'm saying we need to love God with everything we have so our lives will be what he wants them to be. But I think there are times God says, you know what, you're my kid. Why are you acting like the world? You're my kid. Quit wasting your life and your talents and your, your gifts and quit wasting your, your time and your energy on stuff that doesn't matter. You're my kid. You represent me here. And so I, I think when we, we talk about agape throwing, flowing through us, there is this incredibly deep yearning for us to please the Father. And we know in those moments when things aren't going the way that they should, we, we say, okay, I'm off track. I'm off track. I need to reconnect to the king. Well, on the other side of it then, Paul talks about in our relationship with people and what that looks like. So let's look at some of those. Uh, verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. The word love there is not agape. The word is Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a brotherly love. And so what Paul says, when agape is flowing through you, you are going to treat your brothers and sisters in Christ like family. It's going to be a natural result. That when, the, when agape, when God's love is, is overwhelming in your life, that you can't help but be a family with each other. Now, we know how family works. You know, we, we have to love family, right? We love family in ways that we don't love anybody else on the planet. We put up with stuff from family members that we wouldn't put up with anybody else. And we care for family in ways we wouldn't care for anybody else. And Paul says, you know, when, when agape is flowing through you, you're going to treat each other as followers of Jesus as family. And you just can't help it. That's what you're going to do. And that's the way you're going to live out this, this faith journey. Right? Uh, so honor one another above yourselves, and the way we do that is we, we put others above ourselves. As Jesus said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you're going to be a servant. And if you want to be the very best, you're going to be like a slave to everyone else. Verse 13, he says, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hosp hospitality, a natural outflow of, of following Jesus and, and being, having agape flow through you is that we're going to meet each other's needs. You know the old saying, as long as there's food on my table, you're going to have something to eat. That, that's how it works for us as followers of Jesus. 
From Acts 2 on, the very first when they described the first church, nobody had any needs because they took care of each other. Right? And, and so that's, that's the reality of, of who we are. We can't help but help as we practice hospitality. We're going to skip 14 because we'll talk about that more specifically next week. But 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And so there is this reality as followers of Jesus when agape is flowing through us that empathy is a, is a normal part of who we are. That when someone else is hurting, we hurt with them. And we're able to put our feet in their shoes, so to speak, and know what they're feeling. And when they're rejoicing, we can rejoice with them, even if we don't have anything of our own to rejoice about. We celebrate with them their victories and, and the good things that happen. Empathy is a natural part of who we are as followers of Jesus. 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And so when people... When there are multiple Christ followers where agape is flowing through them, they're going to work together to accomplish bigger purposes and greater things. We're just going to be drawn to that, right? And then also realize that we're not better than anybody. And I think in this one, we can think about those who are not followers of Jesus. I'm not better than anyone because I follow Jesus and they don't. I've just found mercy and grace. And the idea is, is that we interact with people, both Christ followers and non-Christ followers, when we walk away from them, they should experience the king. They should experience our king in that conversation and in the way that they're treated. So I have to confess, that's not always the truth for me. I had a phone conversation with somebody that owes us money about an air conditioner this week, and I wasn't very Jesus-like. And I said things that I really wish I wouldn't have said, but I meant them at the time. But agape wasn't flowing. Doug was. And all of those bullet points that I like to filter through, the filter was turned off. That's embarrassing to say that, but it's true. And you hang up the phone and you realize, oh, wait a minute. I didn't represent King Jesus in that. As we've moved, we've had different workers come to the house and, and install things and, and fix things. And the guy that came to install our internet, there was just, from the minute I met him, there was something about his spirit. I knew he was a follower of Jesus. I don't know if you ever have that, but you meet someone and say, this person serves my king. So he began to work, and he was, he was there for a long time, and he was setting all of that up and, and had occasional conversations with him. And then finally there was an opportunity and a door opened that we had a faith conversation. And, uh, and, and I said, you go to church, don't you? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, where do you go? And he told me all about it, and I told him who I was. And I said, you know, while you were working and after I talked to you, I, I just want you to know this. I told my wife that you worship the same king I worship, that you're a follower of Jesus. Thank you for having that kind of influence and impact. Thank you for being that connected to him because it really makes a difference. And he left, and, and I began to think about that and think about that conversation. And I began to ask myself, I wonder if people ever say that about me. 
I wonder when I walk away, what do they think about what just happened? Do they walk away and do they say, wow, there's something different about that guy? Or do Christ followers walk away and say, I know that guy follows King Jesus like me? Or am I so much like them they don't notice? See, agape flows through us, and it causes us to live a different kind of life, a life that is contrary to the life the world lives, a life that is, is unlike those that we see in our world, a life that stands up and says, you know, I, I'm, I can't participate, and not in a judgmental way. It says, my king says no. And so today, as we talk about this and as we go through that list of characteristics, please again hear me say, I am not telling you to go fix those things. Hear me say, you can't fix them. But just like when I got off the phone and had a conversation I shouldn't have had, it should be a red flag that reminds me, oh, I didn't represent the king well. I need to reconnect to him. I need to reconnect to him. You see, followers of Jesus live a different kind of life, a life that is noticeable. But when we don't, it ought to be a reminder for us something needs to change. And that something is to be open to God's Spirit flowing through me. So the question's real simple today. When you interact with the world, what does the world see? Does it see somebody just like them? Or does it see our king? As redeemed children of the king, our lives should reflect him. Let's pray.